Welcome to episode 16 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today we're going to continue on in our series about women of the Bible. Again, one of my absolute favorite topics. I love discussing women and the roles in the Bible. There's a lot of them, but their stories are usually pretty short and they don't get that much attention. So let's highlight them. Today we're going to talk about Jael who shows up in a short passage, but that short passage packs a pretty big punch and you'll see what I mean as we continue. This is also an episode where you might want to listen to episode 15 before this one, just for more context. Jail's story happens within the broader context of Deborah's story and Deborah's story is emphasized in episode 15. So that's my suggestion for you, but you don't have to listen to it to understand what we've got today. Now I do want to give you a content warning. This episode is going to discuss violence because what happens in Jail's story is violent. And I'm going to mention a topic about violence against women that if you have little ears in the car, they might not be ready to hear yet. So you might want to pause right now if you don't want them hearing anything else. I also want to give you a trigger warning. I am going to discuss rape in this episode. It's not the main focus by any means. It's just mentioned a couple of times. And the story itself does not include an actual case of rape, but I do want to be sensitive to whatever background you have, and I want to make sure that this is a safe space, so I want to give you that warning ahead of time. All right, let's go ahead and dig into the story of Jail. Hey, Millennial. Welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate Creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. As always, I would love to begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to listen to podcasts, to make podcasts, to examine your word and learn more about you and who you are and the people that you use by reading your word that's so accessible to us in the Bible. I pray that you would open up the hearts and ears of any woman who is listening today, that she would be receptive to your message and that your message would come through my lips and it would not be what I want to say, God, but what you want to say through me. I pray that we would look at the story of jail with fresh eyes and that we would really look at the stories of women the way that you look at them. Thank you, Lord, that you honor women and that you love women and that you created women. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, to begin the story of jail, you are going to need some context, so bear with me a little bit before we get to actually reading the story. Last week, when we talked about the story of Deborah, I just want to remind you of a few things. She was a female judge of Israel, the only female judge of Israel. And Jael's story happens within the broader context of Deborah's story, as I mentioned before. And that occurs in Judges 4 and Judges 5. Now, Judges chapter 4 is actually the story part, and chapter 5 is almost completely a song that was written by Deborah and Barak. And a lot of it reflects 
the story that had happened in chapter five and gives praise to God. It's a song. Now, before Jael's story begins, you need to know that, as I said, Deborah was the judge of Israel at the time, and judges often acted as leaders, and especially a lot of times it involved military leadership. In Deborah's case, she didn't actually lead the military, but she did tell the military leader what to do. And these judges were meant to carry out the will of God. This is a time period before Israel had actual kings. So the judges were in a position of leadership, and they let the tribes of Israel know what God's will was. And in Deborah's case, she was also a prophet for God. Now in Judges 4, the Israelites have done evil again. It says that directly. And God gives them over to King Jabin, who was the king of Canaan. And the commander of King Jabin's army was Sisera. Sisera is described in verse 3 in this way. So Judges 4 verse 3 says, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. All right, after this happens, we're going to see Deborah. It's going to introduce her. She is the judge of Israel and a prophet. And one day she calls for Barak and he comes to her and she gives him a message from God. And this is what she says. Verse six of chapter four. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Now, Barak, he agrees to this. You know, Deborah's speaking as a prophet of the Lord, and he agrees to it, but he says that only if Deborah goes with him. So Deborah responds this way in verse 9. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Now, if you're hearing this, you might be thinking, Oh, okay, so it's Deborah. Deborah's the one who's going to get the honor and the Lord's victory will be at the hands of her. But no, actually, it is at the hands of Jael. So who is Jael? Honestly, we don't know much about her. I tried to dig into her history and do some research, but there's just not much that's known about her. I'll give you what I did end up discovering. We should start with what the passage says about her. In verse 11, there's a little bit about her husband, Heber. And in Judges chapter 4, verse 11, it says, now Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near Kadesh. So there is clearly some connection between Heber and the Israelites. It seems like somehow he has some kind of family relation to Moses. Moses' brother-in-law, the phrase brother-in-law there, can actually be interpreted in several different ways. It can also mean father-in-law. So the connection is a little bit unclear. Ultimately, we know that Heber is described as a Kenite. Now, that means that he identified more with the Kenites than the Israelites, it seems. Now, we're not sure about Jael's ancestry. So could Jael also be a descendant of the Israelites and have some mixed ancestry with the Kenites? I don't know. There's not much mentioned about her. So at this point in the story, Deborah tells Barak to start the battle. And Sisera's army is being defeated by the supernatural intervention of God. And it's very clear that God is intervening here. And Barak's army kills every single one of Sisera's soldiers. But Sisera runs away. He escapes on foot. He's running and he ends up at Jael's tent. 
And it's not by mistake. He definitely goes there on purpose. So let's pick up the story. This is where Jael's story really begins in Judges. So Judges 4, starting in 17. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please get me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from the leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes and asks you if there's anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. That is the end of Judges 4. Now I'm also going to read a section of Judges 5. You can read the entirety of Judges 5. It's the song of Deborah and Barak mostly. And it's often praising God, describing the battle against Sisera. The only part that focuses really on Jael and Sisera starts around verse 19. Now Jael is mentioned also in verse 6, but she's not really the main focus. It just says in the days of Jael. So because of that, I'm just going to skip down to the part that's about her. So starting in verse 19, the song goes, The kings of Canaan came and fought at Tanakh near Medego's springs, and they carried off no silver treasures. The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. The Kishon River swept them away, that ancient torrent, the Kishon. March on with courage, my soul. Then the horse's hooves hammered the ground, the galloping, galloping of Sisera's mighty steeds. Let the people of Meraz be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty warriors. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who lived in tents. Sisera asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him yogurt. Then with her left hand, she reached for a tent peg, and with her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera with the hammer, crushing his head. With a shattering blow, she pierced his temples. He sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet, and where he sank, there he died. From the window, Sisera's mother looked out. Through the window, she watched for his return, saying, why is this chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sounds of chariot wheels? Her wise women answer, and she repeats these words to herself. They must be dividing the captured plunder, with a woman or two for every man. There will be colorful robes for Sisera, and colorful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colorful robes embroidered on both sides. Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera. But may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. That last part, then there was peace in the land for 40 years. 
is right after the conclusion of the song. And that's the end of Judges 5. A few interesting notes before we talk about the attributes of Jael and what we can learn about God through this story. Just a couple notes here. The two accounts of Jael committing the murder are slightly different, it seems, um, in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. So chapter 4 is the actual story, and chapter 5 is the song about the story. And in chapter 4, Cicera is definitely asleep when she attacks, and she drives that peg through his head and into the ground. Now, in chapter 5, it seems like he might be standing up or at least not completely flat on the ground because it describes him as falling. He falls. So there is kind of an interesting note there. It doesn't mean that the two accounts necessarily contradict, but it is interesting to note the, the little difference there in the language that's used. The two descriptions in chapter 4 or 5 are mostly similar. It's just that little difference I wanted to note. Now, I also wanted to note that in my research, I noticed that Jael was probably in charge of setting up the tents and was familiar with striking a tent peg. So it was probably her job to set up the tents and she probably was used to driving those pegs into the ground with a hammer. And so that was probably a very familiar tool for her to use. Because if you first read this, it sounds incredible. It really does. That she essentially gets this peg and she hammers it through someone's head. That is not an easy task. And that might be because she was used to driving it into the ground and perhaps the soil was hard. So maybe that's where her strength came from. I don't know, but it is something interesting to note. Now, another thing I noticed is there was this article on Bible Gateway that was really emphasizing how gruesome the violence of this act was. And I want to say that I agree that this act was very violent. It really does make me recoil a little bit at how violent it must be to drive a tent peg through someone's temple and into the ground. You know, that is very, it's just a very gruesome killing of someone. And I do want to mention that I don't think that Jael chose those weapons because she felt like being super violent. I think that she chose those weapons because they were weapons that she effectively knew how to use. Perhaps she didn't have a sword or a dagger or something like that. Perhaps she knew, because she was used to setting up the tents, how to drive a tent peg through a hard surface. And so that's why she chose that not to be gruesome, but to perform this act in a way that she knew how to do. So that's an interesting thing to note. I also want to say that... I do feel when women are the ones committing these types of acts, I think they get a harder time from people than when men commit similar acts. So in Judges 3, which is the chapter before the story begins, the judge at the time was named Ehud, and he actually kills the king of Moab, who's King Eglon, with a dagger, and he does it in a really sneaky way, and he does it by disemboweling him, by driving the dagger into his stomach and disemboweling him. And after he does this, he sneaks away, you know, it was kind of an assassination. And then it leads to a very successful battle that the Israelites had against the Moabites. And then that period ushers in 80 years of peace. So when people emphasize a lot that jail was being very violent here, I agree that it was definitely violent. That's hard to argue with. But I also want to say that I feel as though women get a harder time for that. And I think there might be some undertones of women should not be doing these types of things. And that does bother me. 
I also want to note that this wasn't a random and senseless act. It wasn't like she had murder in her heart and she just went about killing people at random. I myself really have a hard time when I'm reading the Old Testament with all of the death that occurs, people killing other people. And that is something that I personally have really had to wrestle with. And I continue to wrestle with that, especially when the Israelites are taking over the promised land and they end up killing at God's command, many of the people who were living there. And in this case, there's all these battles that happen and there's so much death and that is hard. And that is something that we have to wrestle with. But I have to say that this act by jail, it's to me more along those lines. It is more an act of war than it is just her randomly murdering someone. And when I was reading some articles, specifically the one on Bible Gateway, it said that she killed Cesare in cold blood, that it was premeditated, that it was not justified. And it bothered me to hear that because I do feel like the context here was a context of war. And while Jael's family was not specifically at war against, against the Canaanites, the way that the Israelites were, I do feel as though she was sympathizing in a lot of ways with Israel and was acting within that context of war instead of just doing something violent because it served her purposes. I don't really see what purpose it served her. In fact, it seemed to not serve her very well because her husband uh, was on good terms with King Jabin, so that probably had repercussions for her family. That article also went so far as to suggest it would have been appropriate for her to kill him if he had attacked her first. And it gave the example of if he had tried to rape her, then she would have been justified in killing him. Friends, this whole idea that women have to be attacked first to justify the killing of Israel's enemy when that's not needed or required for other male leaders who killed Israel's enemy bothers me. And I hope that you see the obvious reasons why that bothers me. Double standard, my friends. Okay. Again, Ehud, he kills King Eglon in a premeditated way, and it's not portrayed in a negative light because it was an act of war. And I think that this is too. I don't think it was a random murder. I don't approve of murder, and I I don't like the idea of people dying at the hands of other people. I don't like that. But I am saying we have to read it within the context and then wrestle with what that context is. I have to mention just really quick, there were also murmurs in various online sources, this came up several different times, that some scholars think Jael seduced Sisera and that's why he was so exhausted. That's why he was tired, was because Jael seduced him. They were getting this mostly from the language. They said that the language that was used in the Hebrew sounded suggestive, but In my very humble opinion, I didn't find these arguments very convincing because I don't think the Bible is very shy, like at all, about saying when someone had sex or saying when someone was seduced or saying when someone was raped or saying when a murder happened or when a crime was committed. The Bible is often very, very straightforward about that. So because there's so much straightforwardness about topics that we feel are taboo or or in the case of rape and murder crimes, right? I don't think that the Bible usually tries to hide those things, so I felt like it was a little unlikely that that's the case, but I thought I'd mention it in case you were interested in that theory. I also found in, I want to cite this article specifically, Tikva Freimerkinski's article from Jewish Women's Archive. 
I found her article very interesting, although I didn't agree with all of it. It did point out this interesting parallel between Jail's actions towards Cicera before she ended up killing him as almost motherly. And then also how at the end of Judges 5 in the Song of Deborah and Barak, how Cicera's mother is mentioned as waiting for him to return home. So it's almost like this motherly connection. And the actions I'm talking about specifically were obviously not the part where she kills Cicera, but the part where she's bringing him a blanket. Sort of sounds like she's almost tucking him in and she's bringing him milk and she's watching at the door. All of these things almost have like a motherly sort of undercurrent to them, which I found interesting um, if we connect it then to how Cicera's mother is mentioned later. I'm going to come back to this connection later when we talk about the attributes of jail. All right, let's talk about some things that we can learn about jail. The first thing is that jail takes decisive action. When the opportunity arises, she acts. Cicera comes right to her tent and she acts on that. She takes advantage of the situation. And yes, I want to emphasize that most of the time when we're deciding on something, there is a lot of wisdom and patience. There's a lot of wisdom in waiting and praying and listening to the Lord 100% before taking action. But sometimes I think we also need to just seize God-given opportunities and act. And I'm getting this from Judges 4.9, where it says, The Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. This was really God's victory, and he used a woman to accomplish it. It takes some practice. We have to listen to the Lord. We have to learn what his voice sounds like. We have to listen to his call and know when we're supposed to act and know when we feel the stirring of the spirit. And I think sometimes God gives us opportunities where, and I'm not saying it should resemble anything like jail situation here. This was very extreme. (laughs) Um, But I think just in our day-to-day life, when we're going about making decisions and we're praying about it, sometimes God gives us opportunities to act and we should seize those opportunities in the moment when we feel that stirring of the spirit or we feel like God is giving us that opportunity. The second thing is Jael didn't let her station or what was expected of her stop her from taking action. There's a lot of reasons she should not have acted against Cicera. One was that she was a woman. This was not expected behavior from a woman. Also, she was probably, probably from a nomadic tent dwelling people. They seem to be merchants based on what I read. They seem to be people who sold things. And her husband, it directly says, was on good terms with King Jabin. So in Judges 4.17, it says, Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. So it's not like Sisera just randomly chose a tent. No, he picked her tent specifically while literally abandoning his own troops to die because he thought it would be a safe space because her husband was on good terms with his king, who was his boss, you know? Again, I don't know why Jael chose to kill him. We don't know if she had ties to Israel genealogically. Her husband seemed to have some connection to Moses. We don't know if she just felt sympathetic because of the wrong things that Sisera was doing against the Israelites. We don't know why she acted, but it seemed like she shouldn't have just from why would she kind of a perspective but she does it anyway. There's all these reasons why she doesn't, but she does it anyway. So she didn't let these qualities about herself stop her from taking action that ultimately 
leads to point number three. Jael protects Israel. Her actions prevent the further harm of Israel and usher in a period of peace of 40 years, which is mentioned in Judges 531. It's hard. You got to wrestle with that the violence leads to peace, but it, it nonetheless did. Now, in Deborah and Barak's song in Judges 5, they mention a scene I want to return to. It's where Sisera's mother awaits his return from battle. Obviously, he's not going to return because he's dead. But the scene in the, in the song of chapter 5 of Judges says, starting in verse 28, From the window Sisera's mother looked out. Through the window she watched for his return, saying, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sound of chariot wheels? Her wise women answer, and she repeats these words to herself. They must be dividing the captured plunder, with a woman or two for every man. There will be colorful robes for Sisera, and colorful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colorful robes embroidered on both sides. It seems to me that if, if Sisera had won this battle, Israel would have been plundered, it says that, dividing the captured plunder, and that plunder included Israelite women. And these Israelite women, it sounds to me, would have been raped. A woman or two for every man. Forcibly women taken and given to these Canaanite men. It seems to me that this was his practice or the practice of the Canaanites, if that's what his mom's wise women are telling her. It seemed like this would have been common knowledge of what he would have done. So Jael's actions ultimately protected these women and ultimately protected Israel from the oppression of Sisera. Fourth, Jael is strong physically and emotionally. And that's really interesting to me because physically, think of how strong she had to be to drive a tent peg through a man's skull. That's just crazy. I know she had a hammer, but still, that is, that is some strength. And also emotionally strong because she does so with composure. I find that scene very interesting after she kills Sisera. Barak comes, he's looking for Sisera, and she goes out to meet him. And she tells him, hey, come see, I did this. And then brings um, Barak back to her tent so that he can see what she's done to Sisera. She owns up to her actions right away. And she doesn't try to hide it or make it seem like someone else did it. She was strong. She, st she stood there with composure and owned up to her actions. Really interesting. The fifth thing is that Jael is praised in the song of Deborah and Barak. She is. In Judges 5.24, it says, Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. And then again, remember that verse when Barak wants Deborah to go with him into the battle way back in Judges 4. Verse 9, Deborah had said, very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So not only is Jael called blessed and blessed above all women who live in tents, but also it says that Brock's not going to receive the honor for the venture of defeating Sisera's army. Does this not imply that the honor is Jael's? That the Lord, that the Lord delivers the victory? at the hands of a woman? Of course, it's God's victory. But what human gets the honor? It's an interesting thought. Her honor is like a warrior's honor, not a murderer's one. And I hope we're never glorifying senseless murder. 
All right, so that's what I learned about jail. Now, what can we learn about God through Jail's story? Because ultimately, we always want to come back to the most important topic, which is God. And first, and I know I say this every episode about women, but seriously, number one, God uses women. God's victory happens at the hands of a woman, Jail, just like in that verse I had just read. He uses her to give Israel victory over their oppressors. And he also, he's preventing the future abuse of Israel for 40 years until Israel again starts to sin and then they need another judge and all that. The pattern repeats itself over and over again. But God uses jail. God uses Deborah. God uses women. Second, God uplifts the contributions of women. And this happens all over the Bible. This is not specific to the story of jail. But since we're talking about jail, it does seem like she gets the honor here. And Jael is called blessed among women in Deborah and Barak's song. But God is always uplifting women. And a lot of times when women are in a situation of oppression or hate by society, oftentimes we'll see that at the hands of people. But God uplifts women. Jesus in the New Testament uplifted women all the time. It's so beautiful. Number three, God takes care of everything. Now, it seems during the battle that even though his troops are defeated, it sounds like God definitely intervened there and he defeated Caesar's army and all of the troops are killed. None of Caesar's army escapes. It specifically says that. But it does seem like Caesar is going to escape because he literally again abandons his troop and he runs away. But God takes care of everything and he does not allow Caesar to escape. He works things together for the good of those who love him. God works things together for Israel. God works things together for us. In Romans 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Friends, God continues to take care of his people. And in our era, God has taken care of us through the loving sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And Jesus is pointed to all over the Old Testament. They were looking forward to their Messiah, their Savior. And God provides that. He wants to be in that right relationship with us. He calls us. He calls us and he works things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. This leads to my fourth point. God never fails to rescue his people. He rescued them then. He rescued Israel at that time. And he rescues us now. All of our sin has been taken on by Jesus. God has called us and chosen us. Jesus has been that sacrifice for us, that we can be made in right relationship with God, that we might be brothers and sisters to Jesus, that we might be in God's presence, that we might experience him and have eternal life. God rescues his people. He doesn't fail to do it. He always does it. And he keeps doing it. And he keeps coming after you over and over and over again. There is nothing you have done that can separate you from the love of God. We repent, we trust in Jesus, and we come back 
into the right relationship of God. He pursues us and he rescues us over and over and over again. And he has withheld nothing from us, not even his son. All right, let's wrap this up. A few attributes of jail. Just to summarize, she took decisive action. She didn't let her station or what was expected of her stop her from the action. She protected Israel. She was physically and emotionally strong. And she was praised in the song of Deborah and Barak. And what can we learn about God through her story? God uses women. God uplifts the contributions of women. God takes care of everything. And God never fails to rescue his people. And he has rescued you through his son. All right, friends, let's close in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much that you never abandon your people. Thank you that you love women so much. And I pray that we would be, our eyes would be opened to the way that you want to use us. The way that we can take decisive action. The way that we can listen to the spirit and follow his leading. Thank you, God, that you are with us and that we can call upon you and that we can trust in the sacrifice of Jesus to always have that access with you. We love you, God. I pray that you would be with us throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for joining me. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.